This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I am Jesse. And I am Josh. And this is a conversation all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> something just takes hold of me. <laughs> <gasps> um, but today we have something really special and really new. So um, it's actually our first guest ever from Europe, I think. <gasps> Europe, the uh, cosmopolitan capital of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've been wanting to get... I mean, that's the thing for us here at Burn the Haystack. I mean, we uh, initially we started off just wanting to do like uh, Australia, New Zealand sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, over time, we've just, I don't know, gradually expanded and the Burn the Haystack family has grown way well, bigger I mean, than what we thought. It's it's hard it's hard when you uh, start out in Australia and New Zealand and you realise that your core audience is like fifteen people as well as a whole <laughs> bunch of koalas and uh, <laughs> uh, kiwi birds. So I yeah. mean, those kiwi birds are staunch listeners, but apart from that, it, it can be difficult to grow. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's that's I guess the the thing we we didn't realise. I don't know. I don't think you realize how many Adventists are in America compared to uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> compared to Australia. Is yeah, as soon as Americans got wind of what we were doing, man, they just the numbers just soared. And I um, feel so like as well, like we're like the Adventist podcast for Americans. We're like the Crocodile Dundee of Adventist <laughs> podcasts. It's like okay, we're kind of you. You can kind of understand where we're coming from, but we have a bit of a, uh, a an exotic twang to us, and so that's a little bit endearing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we should be playing on that more. We should just be, our <laughs> intro should be like, G'day, mates. How you going? Got some good tucker for you today. I don't know what you've we- been didgeridooing, but it's time to didgeridoo something else. <laughs> I I think we should. Uh, votes votes in, the, votes in the comments section on Facebook and Instagram. If you think that we should do that, uh, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh crikey, we've got a live one today. We've got a King Brown. <laughs> Seriously, I wanted to bring this up the entire time. Our guest, you guys won't believe. Well, you probably will believe because you probably saw the title of this episode. But today, we are interviewing a rugged, um, adventurous, charismatic uh, Englishman by the name of Pastor Paul King Brown. Has to be the coolest pastor name I've ever heard in my life. I I must admit, when when I saw him and I spoke to him, I thought, man... You're you're English, but you you just it feels like you would just be at home amidst the outback. Um, <laughs> but you know, I it, it it's all good. Um, <laughs> what a what a strange. But seriously, I I it's just it's just a beautiful amalgamation of what I assume was just pure coincidence um, down the track one day. Um, but anyway, so yeah, today uh, that's our guest, Pastor Porking Brown. Uh, from London, UK, uh, as Josh said, our first European guest uh, won't be our last. We're, we've been having some talks with some beautiful people over there. Uh, we just really wanted to, yeah, start start getting into the lives in, of uh, of our of our brothers and sisters in the UK, um, in Europe. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you found this, Josh, but when you actually start to talk to uh, Christians in that space it's just it's like a whole new world like i feel like we've been very americanized here in australia and new zealand but the english sort of way of doing things is just so different yeah yeah i would agree and so we have some really i mean and this is for for me that's the thing when we first started this we just thought we were the one burning haystacks then we found out there's a whole lot of people burning haystacks and then americans have their own way of burning haystacks and now we're like well what are the europeans doing i want to check it out and so we're getting we get some great insight here into um, yeah, Pastor Paul King Brown. I just want to say his name a hundred times over. Um, and all the awesome things that he's doing with his Church London Live. Um, 
Yeah, and I think just hearing a bit about the culture over there as well is just super fascinating to me because this is really new ground for us. Um, but really, it's people with, I think, this same sort of idea. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's something going through Adventism right now, and we've had one way of branding it by calling it Burn the Haystack, but it's something that's happening where things are changing and shifting, and it's exciting. So it's exciting mm. to see what's happening. Yeah. So look, you guys, I know that you're going to love this episode. We talk about all sorts of stuff from leadership to the crazy story about how London Live um, came to be to doing ministry in urban areas. So we're just going to go to that right now. Here is our conversation with Pastor Walton Brown. Enjoy. Well, today on the podcast, we are honoured to have Pastor Paul from all the way over in London, UK. Um, Pastor Paul, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. Awesome. So exciting to have you um, on the podcast. This is sort of a, a new thing for us. We've kind of had a lot to do with Australia, New Zealand, the US a little bit. But um, yeah, it's exciting to be talking to, uh, to, a, to a Brit. It's awesome. Yes, I normally get called a pom by you guys, but thank you. <laughs> well, I feel like that's that's a bit of an insulting title. Is that is that insulting? I know, to you? I know it is. I know exactly what it is. <laughs> Especially when you beat us at cricket, but then you're in New Zealand now, so it's you... <laughs> okay. It's okay. I mean, you can't tamper with the ball, can you? Well, I mean, here in New Zealand, the All Blacks are uh, pretty dominant, so they like to remind that, uh, us of that over here. So. At least, you know, when I was growing up, cricket, it was great to be an Australian cricket fan. But, um, you know, these days, I think that the the glory days of Australia is kind of, I'm not going to say behind us, but I, I don't think we we're as dominant as we used to be. So I, I'm feeling more humble is what I'm saying. Um, Pastor Paul, would you like to just give our podcast listeners a little bit of an intro? Who are you? Um, tell us a little about, a bit about you, um, where you're at and uh, your, your church there. Yeah, so um, guys, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. We've been arranging this for a while, and, yeah. uh, and we've got here, so I'm really, I'm really happy that we're actually having this, having this conversation. Um, I um, can't believe I've been a pastor for over ten years. Um, it was never, it wasn't my dream. I didn't, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and think I want to be a pastor. It, it was something that I really feel God called me to. I was in the world of um, of advertising, uh, and I didn't like pastors. Actually, my mother used to send pastors round to my house when I was behaving badly. <laughs> uh, and the pastors were supposed to tell me that I was going to hell for not going to church or being a bad boy or whatever. <laughs> they never did. They came round and we ended up talking football. But, um, <laughs> I, but I was never – I've become – I become the thing I sort of hated. I couldn't believe that I'm, you know, that I'm a pastor. But it's simply through the um, the power of just prayer, really, and just God and God's guidance. Yeah. And um, and I became a pastor. And I have to own up that I, as a child or in my formative years, I I didn't invite anybody to church. I wasn't proud of my church. And, and so when I became a pastor, I, I was placed, I was very fortunate to be, uh, be get involved in church planting. And so I've built churches literally from the ground up. And my whole aim was to be able to build churches that I could invite my friends to. Wow. Wow. That's such a great goal. So simple, but such a great goal. Yeah. I just wanted to do it, you know, um, in advertising or in any professional field, People do excellent, so they're excellent in their job. You know, they have lovely houses and lovely cars, and 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 I wanted a church to be part of that excellence. From there, I'm not talking about perfection, but just like just to do things well, and you know, and so and so people who who were professional could also go to this place and be proud of their church, simply as they're proud of what, whatever they did. Um, but I have to admit from the get-go that actually London Live was started by Australians. It wasn't started <laughs> by the English. Um, it was started by, um, uh, Nick, I think, Nick and Mel, who um, who are they live in New Zealand now, uh, Murray Davina Harvey, in Darba, Phil Yates, and they basically built a church for young, young professionals. And I got involved, and they were doing this... Um, every month they were doing the service every month 
and it was a great success in London, in Oxford Streets, Salvation Army, um, and I was one of the people that went there. There was something like 250 to 300 people who would turn up once a month, and they would dedicate their time, their finances, their resources to making this thing amazing. And um, But then they wanted a pastor um, to to take it to the next level, which was to do London Live every week, which is different from doing it. It was a, it was almost a massive, quote-unquote, theatre production, I don't, in, in terms of staging, uh, and they now wanted it to be um, every week, and um, I somehow, they, they chose me. Um, and then so uh, we, we spent a lot of time praying. Uh, we didn't have a location. We sat down and we prayed. And I think Murray one day turned around and said, uh, I think I'm looking at this area and I went through Notting Hill in London and I think this should be the area we should plant the church. And, and I'm making it a short story rather than a long one from your podcast. And so we, we, we went to, the, we prayed in the houses every Sabbath. We, um, we weren't sure where. I remember we sat at coffee shops on the corner, not knowing that the church around the corner was the church we were going to be at. Wow. Uh, we, were, we were in the area. We, it was very, it's a very um, professional area. It's a very aspiring place to be. If you went there on, especially on a Sabbath, everybody from London seems to congregate there, even though it's a very community, villagey type atmosphere. And, um, and that's where we wanted to be as a church. So we went to a church. Uh, actually, I was taking a basketball team to Papatoe in uh, in Auckland uh, oh, the day wow. before the day before um, I was about to fly out on a Thursday. I did interviews with five churches in the area to see whether they would accept London Live at their church, and I went through the five churches. Four churches said no, and I came to the last church, and I was a bit tired, and I was really sort of very despondent by the experience, and the last church basically accepted me with open arms and said, we got on really well and said, listen, why don't we discuss you starting when we go back? I need to speak to my board and uh, and then we'll go from there. I got on a plane to New Zealand after this and I was really excited about this, but I was sort of semi-scared that, um, that, that somehow we'd go to the board and the board would find some sort of rejections. Mm. So I was in New Zealand and every day I called him I was in New Zealand for a week. <laughs> Every day I called him. And I called him with this, and I'd have an idea. And I'd say, like, look, I've got an idea for this ministry. What do you think about this? And he'd say, wow, that's a good idea. Let's talk about it when we get back. Then I'd, the second day, I'd, I've got an idea. I know we talked about this, but let's talk about that something else. What do you think about that idea? And he'd go, yeah, that's a great idea. And every day I called him. I was so scared. I dropped this contact. I wasn't in England, and it was costing me money on my phone from New Zealand. I don't think I was using WhatsApp, but I didn't care. And I just kept doing it. And then, uh, and then I just wanted to start the church. So I went to him, listen, because I didn't want him to talk to the board and anybody on the board go no. So I said to him, listen, why don't we just start the church? And, uh, he, said, and he said, what? I said, what if we just start the church? He said, well, I have to speak to the board. I went, listen, I need to start this church. Okay, so what I'm going to do, what if I start the church in, in May and then you talk to the board whenever you've got to talk to the board. And then if, but if they turn around and say no, I, you have my word in it that we'll leave. But if everything's okay, we'll just start and we'll go from there. So we'll start and you sort the board out and you come back to me later. And he went, okay, then let's do it. And, <laughs> be there. and on May the 11th, we would have been there for 10 years. Wow. And uh, within the church. Yeah. And it's been just an incredible um, journey with them. They've been really, really supportive. We do ministry together, so we. I have a community. I have a community choir. We do um, a summer concert and a Christmas concert, and we then double up and do it with the church. We feed the homeless together. Um, I actually, I'm not a natural worship leader, but I, I've now been doing it a little bit, and I'd worship lead in their church as well, um, whenever, whenever they ask. So it's been a really good synergy in terms of the. Um, of just ministering together, knowing that um, despite our difference in maybe dogma and and because they have a, Pente a Pentecostal evangelical background and I'm from a Seventh-day Adventist background, but um, we're, we're about, very much about the heart for the city. And um, and we we haven't 
I can't think of one instance there's been like, you know, that member's mine, that member's yours, that member's mine, that member's more yours. It's simply, do you know what, we're here, um, you know, I'm here at Sabbath at five o'clock, if you want to come, come. Uh, his church is at Sunday, 11.30, if you want to go, go to that, whatever we go to, whatever they go to. And um, and because I, tr I truly believe that it isn't just about our, um, our terms and conditions, it's about the people the people that we have in the church. I can invite you to this incredible tribe and these incredible people, and you want to do not just a day with them, but you want to do life with them. So that's yeah. where we go from there. The other thing that we have that you may not you may not know is that I am all, and I forgot to mention to you, I'm also probably two blocks away from Grenfell Tower, the fire. Um, you may you probably heard um, from that. So we are um, our. So I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that we're doing amazing things and now but when it happened when it had one of our choir members for instance died in the in the fire wow. um, oh. so we are very much connected to it but we're not doing as actively um, ministries to that area as we as we did we did when it when it happened the community as a whole reached out and it was an incredible experience of reaching out and the uh, the generosity was just incredible um, if you think, if I told you that where you, if you imagine where you're sitting right now, that and you looked up to the ceiling, and I told you that we had a room full of toothpaste, um, just that that would be, you know, you'd open a room and the room would be full of toothpaste. You'd open a room and the room would be full of pampers. You'd open a room be full of water. Um, there was there was just so much that was given out and so much that was done. And uh, we had one guy from uh, Swansea in Wales who uh, he was a he was a cyclist, and he uh, did lots of cycling. And he uh, then came to our church and gave uh, gave us a thousand pounds, and we packaged up and gave five thousand pounds to another church that was actually right at the forefront of this. And we were so we re we more rather than what we do, we right, resource the people that are at the at the front, um, the frontier of of the evangelism to um, to the people that have been harmed. Or the families that have suffered and and um, in in the Grenfell area, so it's been a unique opportunity for us. And um, during that time, and I still very much believe in the the Esther model that um, a lot of people think that uh, Pastor Paul, you're doing incredible work, but I simply see it as that that like the Esther model where it says in Esther four, I think it says that God has uh, maybe was sent here for such a time as this. Mm. Um, and so to give you to give you an idea of that. There was a charity single done by Simon Cowell, and Simon Cowell said that the only people he wanted on it was community people, mm -hmm. and he wanted a community choir, and they only and he wouldn't have a choir; we'd only have a community choir, and we were the only community choir in the area, and they came to us, and we ended up being on their single, oh, wow. singing "Bridge wow. Over, Tro Over Troubled Waters" um, um, for that, and that was simply just being you know, in the right place at the right time, but we know that God placed us there. It was like all the things that he's asked for, they were put in place seven years ago. Mm. Uh, and then it became, then it, it, it worked from there. So we're very, we're very much in a unique place from that standpoint. Hmm. Well, so much to unpack there. That's incredible. <laughs> I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Um, go, go. Okay, so first off, your... Your situation, your living situation, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, yes. So to give you context, like where, where I'm sitting from, my church, which has been around for the uh, sort of around the same time as yours, is in a school hall, um, which is very classic setup, and mm -hmm. it was always meant to be a stepping stone to our own land, right? Yes. We the dream was to one day purchase a plot of land, erect a structure, yada yada yada. However, mm -hmm. it's like, so for instance, my church has just kind of gotten stuck there. But when I've been thinking about the actual setup of, mm -hmm. of churches and where churches can meet, and obviously if you look at the, 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 the Acts model, you know, the, the New Testament, yeah, yeah. First, yeah. it doesn't matter where you meet. Like mm -hmm. you can have incredible creativity around that. It's interesting that how you, you mentioned that journey from um, from actually setting up in this church that you know has this uh, evangelical pre um, Pentecostal sort of sort of background, there are so many pastors and, and churches who would never even consider like setting up in another church. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. They would yeah. never even consider that. What what's been your flaw? Because it sounds like that was your you went to five churches or four churches or however many it was, and you asked them, "Hey, can we come and co-inhabit your space?" Was there much? I'm imagining there was there was a real conversation around going that route. What was the philosophy in the beginning? Okay, so at the beginning, it was simply about renting space. It was simply because I'm a Seventh Day Adventist. I knew that I wouldn't be competing with space because they were on the Sunday. So it, it came so very much that was a thinking of speaking space, of, of doing space. And then I, um, and so I would almost run, I would have, I would be able to have a church on a Saturday and you can have your church on a Sunday. And then, and then we go from there. But, but in my, in my research, I found out something. I found out that churches are invariably scared of other churches being in their church because um, they think that you will take away the identity of your church. So say, for instance, you have 50 people in your church and I've got 60 people in my church. And if I do ministry in your church, then people will identify your building with me. So it's almost like a takeover. So, so they didn't want... So I was rejected because I was rejected from a lot of the churches uh, and I didn't know this at the beginning, but it was in the talking because they were scared that I was going to take over because the word, and this is this is a bit you can edit or not, whatever, but the word I wasn't able to use, I learned not to use. On my first interview, I used the word evangelism. Ah. By the time I got to the fifth interview, I didn't use the word anymore because evangelism became the word which meant I'm going to get lots of people into my church it's going to be more than yours i'm taking over your church and they're opening the doors to me doing that when i realized that when it became when i started talking about ministry they said what about because the guy said to me fifth one what are you doing about ministry and when i was talking about ministry about what i was doing he then saw a lack in a lack of what he was doing and then i saw what i wasn't doing and then there was a synergy so rather than normally in our thing we'd go i'm feeding the homeless um so I want to feed, sorry, I want to feed the homeless. So what I'll do is I'll set up a homeless project rather than go, well, there's a church around the corner that's feeding the homeless. Why don't I take my people and and help and resource what he's doing and we can feed the homeless together rather than mm. split this thing and have my homeless shelters better than your homeless shelter. Why don't we just put all our, that's what we, we sort of set it up here by competition by default. Yeah. And rather than, do you know what, you're doing this, You've got five people. I can get 15 people to go from here and we'll just do it together because we're just feeding people. We've got a heart for God and we'll go from there. Um, and that we found then that because we were doing that, um, uh, that people will, people naturally were more, were just more open, were more open to us. And, and God would just send people in our general direction and stem to knees and they, they would talk to you. And ultimately it'd be about you. It'd be, You'd be there and they'd be talking. So someone homeless would come and they'll talk to you. And you wouldn't say, listen, I'm the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist church, not the whatever church. They'd simply say, where, where are you? Where are, you know, where are you on this particular day? And you go, well, actually, I'm the pastor here. Uh, past, my pastor's Pastor Ken. Pastor Ken's here on a Sunday, but I'm in here at Saturday, five o'clock. And then they go, all right, OK, fine, no problem at all. So you're here at five o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'm here at five o'clock. But if you want to, but Pastor Ken's here at eleven thirty. Wherever we're both here, wherever you want to do, you do. And then they choose. Mm. And then wherever God, and then God sends them wherever they need to go. And and they see us next week, and we're feeding into their lives. And there are people who go to the Sunday church. But when I go to the Sunday church, they recognise me. They recognise my team. They recognise the choir. Um, uh, our church is not not growing because we're sharing a building. We're actually because. Because we're, we're planting the seeds in the community, the seeds are uh, the seeds are coming in. Uh, the, the plants and the roots are coming out of that. So people now know uh, that we're there, and people know that we're there. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sustainability model. Mm. People know that we're around. If I if I was to shut up the church, I I the church can't be stopped because there'll be someone in the build, someone someone somewhere in the community that would find us somewhere because we're part of the community. Mm. We're, mm. we're not just. We're not just in a building. We're part of. We're now part of pe people's life intrinsically. The um, the Grenfell um, event actually accelerated that process. For it wasn't something that we wanted, wow. but it accelerated the process, and uh, and we went from there. So so we're in we're in the people. 
every time we talk, we're, we're in with the people and the people are in with us. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. I don't know if I explained it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accurately. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I'm curious. Um, I know in a lot of, particularly Adventist circles, um, there, <laughs> I don't know how to word this lightly. There isn't a lot of fondness uh, about the idea of doing things with other churches. Um, it's like tri- do, have you, tribalism. Tribalism. Yeah, a bit of like Adventist tribalism. Do you, have you gotten much backlash in that sort of thing with with what you're doing and being so, I don't know, sharing so much with another church? I'm, I don't know whether I would want to use the word backlash. I've been very well supported. So before we start, let's go. I've been very well supported. Um, I think that the backlash in terms of my organization, my organization, my president, uh, the pastoral teams. I'm supported because they want they want to reach this. I mean, we go back to they want us to do well, and I'm I'm actually in the process of um, of visioning and planning to plant another church in in London, right. um, because and the reason one of the reasons they do it is that there's as I said to you before, Joshua, there's 8.33 million people in London, there's 11,000 Adventists and two hundred and only 200 are white. Wow. And wow. So, <laughs> And so um, there's, there's, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done. And I am interested in, even though I am Black British, I'm interested in multiculturalism and cosmopolitan churches and churches, a church that anybody can go to. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not tribal culturally in that way. You must be one or the other. I'm embracing of all, and uh, because I, because the issues people talk to me about are not necessarily cultural or racial issues the issues people are talking about as about brokenness is about or abuse is about the loss of relationship the loss of family the loss of um um this hurt just a lot of the pain uh which which trans which transcends that so people aren't coming to me because i'm a black party they're coming to me because i'm a, I'm a I, I, they think I'm a compassionate and caring human being and willing to just sit with them uh, for a while and, and listen where in a city like London, we're moving around so fast that no one has time to listen. And so this and, and our church is, is perceived as a safe place. There's a book that you may have read, which uh, we read at the beginning as part of our visioning process of London Live. It was called No Perfect, uh, no, um, no Perfect People Allowed, uh, John okay. Burke. I'm sure you've seen the book. And on the second to last chapter, very resonated with me because the chapter was church, colon, the family I never had. Mm. And, and that, is, that is my ethos. I come from a very dysfunctional family. And, you know, in the old days, we used to call each other brothers and sisters. Uh, and I truly believe in this, this the church is the family. Um, 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 one of my professors, uh, Professor Gifford Ramey, used to say this thing that the blood is thicker than water, but there is something thicker than blood. And that is us, uh, that's the unity of us in a church, you know, that you two might not be related um, biologically, but through mission and through calling, you, sometimes you're closer to each other than a family member. You know, there's a bond there that there's been, that there's a God bond that we have. And we've, and we experience that as a church. And it's, it's a very, very, beautiful um, beautiful experience from there mm. so uh, wow how how has your your journey influenced your identity you're a seventh day adventist church but you're yes. different to a lot of seventh day adventist churches for a lot of the reasons yes. we've already i mean you're called london live you're not london live seventh day adventist community church you know what i mean how has this yeah. journey really it influenced that it, well the name wasn't mine i the name wasn't the name was one i adopted uh, I was my first church was Kennington Community Fellowship, so um, you know, so it's uh, I'm used to names not having Seventh Day Adventists in it, but I'm very much uh, though we might not have the name in it. I'm very I, I actually want people to know that they're in a Seventh Day Adventist church. I want I actually want them to know that you can be a Seventh Day Adventist and be relevant and be um, be Bible based, um, be intellectually relevant. And also be compassionate and be nice. I often think that one of the big books that we ought to write as a church is "Be Nice," um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, because we because we lead with we lead with you know with the fact that I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, like you're on a Sunday, I'm on a I'm on a Saturday. You're wrong. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Rather than hey, you know, one of the um, things I I did. Well, one of the things I. It wasn't I did. I was given a list of people who'd been to London Live and I 
and I called them up and a lot of them because it was um, uh, the Australians and New Zealand. So I don't know if New Zealand's the same, but what happened was that you they normally they normally came for two years, they had two year visas, and then they'd left. So I went through a list of people that were at London Live, and then one of the ladies was just about to leave, and I asked her for any advice on you know on what was her experience of church, etc. And she said she always wanted somewhere that she could walk out of work and she would go. And there was an old program, because I'm older than you guys, there's a program called Cheers, where and it, I think in the ties you say, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, I always wish there was a place I could just walk out of work on a Wednesday evening and just walk into a bar or a pizza restaurant and I'd walk in and everybody would know my name. And so one of the first things we did, London Live, we used to have pizza nights every Wednesday. I found in, in the middle of London, um, used to get out of the tube, come into um, La Pocetta, which is a little pig, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to go into this Italian restaurant and then we'd sit there and eat and everybody knew everybody knew who we were. On Wednesdays, we would be there. We'd be this tribe of people um, just, uh, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily always be talking God, but we'd be talking football or we'd be sharing life together. And this was, you know, we, we call them small groups in in different ways or or prayer meetings This is in, in the old sense, but it was a way of doing life together other than uh, that one day. But the, but the thing that's important about, um, I think it's important that people know that, that we're Seventh-day Adventists, but it can be reshaped. Mm. Um, there's a thing called the One Project, which is similar. You know, that it, it's it's a focus. It's not that we're removing any of the tenets of Adventism. Is that we are honouring them, but we're going like, you know, we can actually lead like a Wagner and Jones in 1888. We can actually lead with love. Mm. We can lead with forgiveness. We can lead with just our arms wide open, uh, rather than lead with, okay, before you come in, are you qualified? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. um, you know, so because people talk about London Live in terms of the welcome, in terms of it's all embracing, in terms of, of safe place. Um, and then because we're all those things, people then listen to what we have to say about Jesus and about salvation and about and about Sabbath, because Sabbath is Sabbath to us. The Bible is important, and the truths of the Bible are important. But it's simply sometimes in the order. Uh, uh, it's it's. Um, I was going to say the cards are played, but we're not allowed to play cards in church. But you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm interested. I mean, you sort of alluded to it, I guess, um, but. You have a passion for reaching, uh, as you described, what, like met the sort of urban and metropolitan sort of culture. Um, what, what do you, what do you think? I guess are the and yeah, like we sort of alluded to it, but I think I, I want to sort of dig a little bit deeper. What do you think are the keys to reaching sort of city culture? Because I don't know what it, I, I mean by the sounds of it, it's similar in in London, but. Um, in Australia, New Zealand, and by the sounds of it in the States as well, um, Adventism isn't really doing too well in terms of reaching and really digging roots into the city and having, uh, making disciples in, in, in our cities. I, so I think, it's, I think it's difficult, but also I think it's simple. Um, okay. So, um, so we were doing Bible studies in church, uh, but it wasn't our church, and and they wanted the day. They wanted the same day, so we then started doing some Bible studies. Then we went into the coffee shop around the corner, and being in the coffee shop became the most amazing thing ever, because now we were doing it in the coffee shop. We were among the people in the church. We'd be closeted away. Nobody know we're in the. Nobody would know we're in the church. But then in the coffee shop, people would say, "Are you talking about God? Are you talking about this?" And then they'd either join the group, uh, or they'd come away and ask questions afterwards. We engage so many people. So I think that Adventism, and this is my experience, I'm not saying I don't know other people, but this is my, this is my take on it, is that um, um, Adventism, there's two things, I'm going to say this. Adventism has taught us how to get ready for heaven, whereas Christians are taught how to get everybody else ready for heaven. So we're very, it's very individual. It's, it's, we're very individual. It's almost like I've got to read my Bible prayer. We, say, we, we have our children read your Bible prayer every day. You do that, then you're okay. Whereas um, the idea, so there's a song that I'm obsessed with at the moment. Uh, you might see it on my Facebook. It's a Bruce Springsteen song. 
and and it's called uh, "I'll Wait for You," and if I fall behind, wait for me, and it's a uh, and it's a song that he does with his band, and all the members sing this song, and uh, then it's a wide shot of all of them together. So there's this thing where do you know what I'm in your life, and that is where, and in you're in my life, and that is where um, I don't want to see the failing, but where Adventism could grow. Adventism grows not when we go. Here are ten commandments. Here are a set of fundamentals. Here's a pamphlet. Read and come back to me when you get it, and then I'll baptize you. It grows when I spend my life with you, that I'm in your life. And say, for instance, you're not interested in what I have to say, if from a spiritual perspective, if you're in my, if I'm playing golf with you, if I'm playing basketball with you, if I'm having pizza with you, if I'm you, um, I'm doing this with you. Um, for instance, as a pastor, a lot of a lot of people in the in my choir in my bar, I have a basketball run. Uh, I they don't come to my church, but I'm their pastor. Mm. So I'll, I'll I'll they'll ask me to do their christenings, or they'll if there's a burial, they'll ask me to do their burial for their families, or they'll ask me to come and uh, counsel with them when they've got marriage problems. I am their pastor. De facto, the day of their ministry, a Tuesday on a basketball, a Thursday at the homeless, a choir on a Wednesday, is technically their church time, their Sabbath, because I'm in their life. So, an answer, in a simple answer to, the, to your question, is that we need, I I believe that we need to be willing, and this is a tough part, to actually be in people's lives and they in our lives rather than just disseminate information. We are taught to disseminate information. We give information and we call them tracks. Mm. So we call them tracks. I give you this information and I give 100 people this information. I then walk away, expect you to read this thing and go, wow, it's amazing, rather than do what the uh, Philip did with the eunuch, which is, do you understand what you just read? Let me hang out with you. Mm. And that takes time. It takes, it's far harder to plant a church than it is, I believe, and do it this way rather than have a church. If I've got a church of 300 people in traditional church, I've got to do a sermon, I've got to do a board meeting, I'll do a prayer meeting, there's three things and I can get the hell out of the way. But when you're doing church where you're living in life and you're there with life when you've got your doors open, it's almost like, because 80% of what you do is counselling, because people don't come to you when you win the lottery. It's a whole different thing. And so now people are in your lives, and it's about, and people follow you. Mm. And that's the thing that, that's the thing I didn't like at the beginning. I thought they follow the word. They actually follow the word in you. They go, do you know what? I like you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I follow you. Where do you want? Where do you want me to go? So people, we used to have these pizza nights. We don't have them anymore. We do different things. But I, people used to sit there and have pizza, and I used to say, they, and they, and the worst question I sometimes I didn't didn't know who I was because I don't. I'm, I mean, I used to walk around in orange shorts and basketball boots. So you know, <laughs> then they go, "What do you do for a living?" And I tell them I'm a pastor. They look at me like I was on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, they believed me. Uh, because someone else would say Pastor Paul, and then they would say, oh, "I'd never go in a church." And I'd say to them, "Listen, if you whatever, if you come to church, I'll preach about anything you want me to preach about. You tell me the subject, I'll preach on it." Go, really? Yeah. And then they'll tell me, "Do you know what? I really have a problem with that." I went, "Okay, fine. I'll preach about it. You're going to turn up. You're going to turn up. Okay, fine. They'll turn up." And then because because we are relevant, we, we are we are relevant, but I think that we need to listen. And it's hard. It's really, it's not easy. I'm saying this to you. It's really hard work because it's easy to just go, here are 10 things. Here are principles and there are, you know, mm. fundamentals. I'm going to tell you. It's easy to go, I'm going to tell you rather than let me share with you. Let me have this course. You come back to me because the issue now, especially with millennials, the issue is not the answers. The issues are the questions. Mm. How do we tolerate? How do we not, I say tolerate, because we've always had toleration of questions, but how do we now allow, we have to allow these questions to happen, whereas once they never happened. And then uh, we've got young people going to universities at 18, 19, 20, who discover when they go to university, the questions, and they find out that atheists and Muslims know far more than them because they question what they're allowed to question. And this is the first time they're confronted by, you know, hold on a minute, you know, Read your Bible, pray every day. It's not quite the intellectual answer to all of these questions. <laughs> so, you know, so I don't you, know if I'm... Yeah, no, I think you have. Would you would you say then that 
the Tuesday evening in city ministry or even just urbanized ministry, whatever, is mm. more important than than the eleven a.m. till twelve p.m. holy hour sort of thing. Have we have we kind of got our weightings, our priorities wrong in terms of what we focus on as the most important aspect of our Christian experience? I think it's all. I, I think it's all all that. I mean, you've got to remember that London Life starts at five o'clock in the evening, and I'll tell yeah. you later why it's at five o'clock. Um, um, but it's all in. It's all embracing. I think that one of the things that, as I've got older, one of the things that's easy to do is to, once you start thinking, okay, I'm being radical, I'm being different, is to throw out the goodness of of what our church is. Um, so you think, well, okay, fine, get rid of the 11 o'clock or get rid of Sabbath school or get rid of this, get rid of that. You can have it all. You can have it all. And also, if you come from a marketing or advertising background, you also recognise that there are, Sometimes you have different audiences. Um, so my mother wants to sing the old rugged cross and um, and amazing grace. She doesn't want to sing, I am, you know, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. You know, young people want to sing that or they want to sing their songs or whatever. So rather than have, um, we must have drums and you must not have drums, don't have drums, literally stop fighting. Go, you know what? Between 11 and 12, you can have take time to be holy. But at two o'clock, I'm going to have some drums. Is that okay with you? You know, and, <laughs> and go from there. Let's, because we, because we, we, I mean, I, I, my daughter's younger than me. Our music, we love music, but we have different languages. You know, I have my songs and she has her songs. I'm not, she's, I don't want to listen to hers and she doesn't want to listen to mine. What I want to do is express um, my, uh, my me, myself in, in the way I want. This reminds me of, I went to Venice. I remember we went to Venice and uh, in a very small space, there was, churches everywhere and i said to them i said to them i said to the guide i said why are there so many churches and then she said to me every generation needs its form of expression oh. and i never forgot that and i thought like wow you know like so every part of our church will come together needs a form of expression if you allow every generation to have its form of expression then they'll the divisions they'll go like they'll be more together because Thank you for allowing me to express myself at eleven o'clock at twelve o'clock and not making me feel guilty for what is an amazing grace, um, you know. Because some of those people will end up at the drums at two o'clock or whatever the time they are, because you, you've, you've actually, you know, there isn't this tension of like, you know, you've got to have it and I'm force feeding you. Is that we're allowing it all, and we can. I think the beauty of it is that we're having it all. We're also finding there's lots of research to say that young people want the traditional. They don't in all this movement and. Um, avant-garde and all this change and all the um, relevancy that there's something in the traditions you know mm -hmm. and in something that's been going on from there you know so so even song which is a um, 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 and Church of England traditional service is growing in this country uh, because it's it's a tradition uh, that's happened and also with all the change people want want form let me explain it to you this way so i was reading this interview i listened to an interview on the radio and the guy was a uh, radio four and he was teaching in oxford or cambridge spirituality and he wasn't necessarily teaching it to christians he was just teaching it and he said he noticed that in teaching spirituality halfway through his class everybody needed a form everybody needed a place to express this um, so some went in a church, some went there, some went, but they, but they needed to express this. And what he didn't, he did, but he didn't put any limitations on how that was expressed. He just discovered that in teaching spirituality and their spirituality growing, that people needed a place of expression. And we, you know, like like um like um, educational learning languages, we express ourselves in different ways. You know, some people like to your weather's fantastic. You know, a lot of people in my church go in the summer, why can't we just have church in the park? Well, not in December, it's cold. <laughs> you know? But people want to, but sometimes the best Sabbath is walking by the lake, you know, and not having a guitar or not having anything, literally being here, here, the, here God and the Holy Spirit through, through our environment. Other people don't want to be outside, they need to uh, hear the music. I, I sit in a church with wonderful music and as we're playing our wonderful music, I see people just stand there not singing because that's not their language. Their language is the word. Their language is something else. Their language is giving. Um, and I think church 
does have a place where um, we can actually all have our languages, but we shouldn't go, why aren't you singing? Or why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you doing that? Because there's different, as you know, God's, if there's 300, as, as both of you are pastors, you can be preaching to 300 people and literally there are, God has used the 300 different messages going out because there's using different aspects. So, you know, you will have your um, focus of your sermon and this will be your focus and someone else will see it in a totally different way because this is how it pertains to their, is relevant to their world, mm. you know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, the, the, it's it's actually exclusive. I think that actually it's very that the word of God in our church can be very inclusive. So I so I so I think that a lot of the obstacles to Adventism is not actually our liturgy. It's not what it is. It's actually the way we as people are portraying it. I think that we can be kind. That we can be far kinder with it. Rather than use it as it, rather than historically it's been used as a baseball bat, we don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah, wow, it makes so much sense when you say it, you know, you just but you just oh, I love that. I'm curious. Um, so five o'clock on a, on a Saturday, it sounds like it's intentional, yeah. So we found out that I well, there was a lot of conversations about the afternoon, and it is, it is, you know, um. From the outset, I've got to tell you, it is about, it is, I don't know what came first, but it is about not getting out of bed. <laughs> as, yeah. a, as a millennial, I can, um, I can definitely uh, appreciate okay. that. Because, yep. because you, you imagine, and then, and then I found some research, um, and I don't know what came first, the research or the idea, but now I've, I've, I've sort of formed it in this sort of way I say it, and you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. So what happens as pastors normally, um, if you're doing a church and it's divine, you know, Sabbath schools at 10 o'clock, um, divine services at 11, is that Sabbath school at 10 o'clock, you're looking around and there's hardly anybody there sometimes, or it's a bit less. And then, then, you know, and then people turn up just before divine service and then they want to get engaged in it. And then you say, well, if you were here at 10 o'clock, you would have known what to say. <laughs> the guilt tripping. And, and if you come back next week at 10 o'clock, you'll be here to go, go from there. And then you do 11 o'clock and go from there. Some people then uh, will ask you, what is the sermon for next week? Who's preaching next week? So they can simply just turn up at the service for the sermon and then they can go from there. So um, so London Live, I found out this research. So we wanted to go to different London Live, but I found out this research. Um, I, don't, I don't know how old it is, but I found out that the Church of England did a, some research which they, the question they asked was, if we had to do church at a different time on a different day, when would it be? And they came back with Saturday, five o'clock. Interesting. Huh. And the reason it works, and the reason it works, it's brilliant logic, is that um, because, once again, you know, as I'm talking to Adventists, so this is an insider conversation, what we try and do is that I try and tell you how to be Adventist and you should be an Adventist. Whereas, so you should be in church in England um, because the predominance of a lot of our churches are black. We're in churches all day. So, mm. so you're a professional. You've got your children. Um, you don't see your children because you leave your house seven o'clock in the morning. On Saturday morning, you lie in bed, you wake up late, you get up at nine, ten o'clock, you walk around in your nightgown, you make breakfast for your children. They haven't seen you all quick. It's a wonderful experience. You get to make breakfast for your children. You're able to share with them. Hi, you know, you make them pancakes, whatever you want to, you know, whatever cholesterol-based breakfast you want to make them, you make them breakfast. <laughs> and you go from there. And everything is wonderful and go from there. Then you tell them to get dressed. We're going to jump in a car and we're going to do what all 21st century people do. We're going to go shopping. <laughs> and so we go shopping. And so the malls are our new social, is, is our new church. And we're going to go shopping, shopping. And we're chilled out and go from there. And then when we finish going shopping, we're then going to have coffee. And they worked out that there is this gap between three o'clock and five o'clock, which is dead time, which is nothing between batteries till seven o'clock. There's dead time. And then so we can set up a church within this time. And at five o'clock, they come to church and some of them turn up with their bags, put them at the back. They come into church, have church from five o'clock at 6.30. We do some food and they want to stay. Most of them do stay. But then at seven o'clock and eight o'clock, they then get their lives back because they meet their friends and they go to the theatre, they go to the cinema, they go to the pub and go from there. So what we've done is that we've placed church in the synergy of their lives, in the gap of it. Rather than go, it's at 11 o'clock, you turn up 
this is the time we're looking at almost a syncopation if it was a graph or when it drops up and down and we've just gone drop that's where it fits and it fits within there so i'm setting up a new church in in richmond and one of the things i've discovered is that though that works with young professionals it doesn't always work with parents with young children so now family because now because now you got to remember that the churches that you know, the people that started the church were young professionals, but now it's been 10, 15 years later, they've now got kids. And I remember when they started and they, they used to have their children and now five o'clock was too late because they want to have their kids in bed by seven. So now I'm looking at this new church and I'm thinking maybe we have to, diff I have to so rather than me impose the London life five o'clock time, I have to look at the group and discuss with the group, when is the best time for them? Maybe it'd be three o'clock. Maybe it'll be two o'clock. Mm. The group will decide on on when it is. And also, and this is where this is where I love this is where I love it, is that you know the people are committed. Adventists don't understand how people only go to church one and a half hours. People who don't go to church have no idea what are you doing in a church all day. They think <laughs> you got what are you doing in that place all day? They're in, they're out, they go home. So so which means then, which is great for me, because my target is people that are not going to church. There's enough churches to speak to the people who are already there. I'm looking to see how we can speak to the people that are not there. So what you're saying is that the 11 till 12 o'clock isn't holy, sacred. God didn't put a special blessing over that. <laughs> you know the answer to that. <laughs> it's a Sabbath day, not a Sabbath hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Oh, man. It's a beautiful time, 11 o'clock, but, you know yeah it's um there are other beautiful times there are other beautiful times i've got to say something quite funny before you can before before you move on Go for it. so um i don't know whether you do you do have it in new zealand because of where you are so we have um a range of sunsets so for instance in the summer at 10 o'clock in the evening it will be very light and then in the winter at six o'clock that it'll be dark you know so at sunset times so because i start at five o'clock the people who don't like my church call me a Sunday church. <laughs> but only half okay. the year. <laughs> yeah, well, it's enough. It's, enough. They, it, it's like the ultimate insult. And I'm supposed to, you know, before when they said it, I was like inside, I was like. <clears throat> <laughs> now, now I just laugh at them and go, if you can find something original, please. But, you know, <laughs> but I used to go to me, or they say, Dude, what time does your church start? Five o'clock. Does that make you a Sunday church? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, so as you look at like your church, as you look at um, London Live, as you look at the, the church that you're going to be planting soon, and as you look at church planting in the UK, um, in global uh, like urban areas, what, mm. what are some of the things that you're looking and you're thinking, okay, when we if we want to set up our churches to be relevant for the cities for the future, because the cities are where the people are, um, yes. What are you What are you thinking? Of some just some key just some key takeaways. I know that you've already expanded on so many um, already, which yeah. is such a huge blessing. But yeah, what are you thinking? I think I I am thinking that um, so most companies ask you every time you go somewhere. Every time I go to Apple or everywhere, they're always asking me for feedback. They're asking me for feedback. They're asking me for feedback. And then, so so you would say, uh, I had a good service, but I think I wasn't happy with that. I wasn't happy with that. And then they'd look at all the information and lo and behold, they'd create a product exactly what you want. And you think, they don't, they don't tell you, they don't say to me, we have listened to what you've said, but lo and behold, you have something in front of you, which is exactly what I need, because they listened to you and they created it. So when we do churches, we actually don't listen to the people. We start off going, this is who we are. You come to us. And rather than, I'm going to go into Richmond and I want to do ministry first rather than church. I want to, I want to talk to some people. And uh, we did this thing in Notting Hill where we said, if you were to start a church, what would you do? And then we just did and wrote it and they wrote down and said, I'd have a children's ministry. I'd have, um, I'd have food. That's why we did food. Uh, I'd have this, I'd have that. And they tell us what we need. And then I'd go away and I'd create a church for that for you. Then I'd invite you to the church and say, listen, when do you come to our church? And I'd say, oh, we've got food and we've got this and we've got that. And they go, yeah, yeah I'll come because I've given them, because they've told me. 
have told me what it is that would get them through the door. Uh, they'd say, what if you, no one has said it, but what if they said, well, if you preached on LGBT rights all the time and spirituality and social justice, then I would be in your church and environmental issues, then I would come to your church. Okay, brilliant. This week we've got a lecture or, or workshop. I've got an expert in. We're going to do this. Would you come? Yeah, I'm interested in this. It's when we, it's when we do surveys of ourselves. You know, you know, we do surveys of ourselves as though we know what they want, and then we miss the mark altogether. I think, and even if then, even if we seem to be listening, people, and even if say, say for instance, you didn't mean to listen, say you pretended to listen, it would be brilliant because people then. Um, you know, we think, okay, you listened. You didn't, you, I didn't get my way, but I listened. I used to have a boss that used to walk into the office and go, okay, fine, I want you to tell me what you think. Um, and then halfway through the conversation, he said, like, you do know I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. I just want to hear what you're going to say. You know? <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> At least he's honest. But then we said what he wanted to say. He did whatever. He did. Sometimes he did move around. He did have his ideas. But the fact is, we were heard. The whole idea in Europe, the, the work in Europe is very difficult. Uh, in the cities in Africa, because now we have people with higher higher education, they they know everything. Um, we are not educated to master standards. They have less need of God and miracles because, you know, they don't need God for their daily bread. They can go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's or whatever shops, you know, wherever, wherever the shop is. And whereas if you were to, you know, if you were to do a mission trip to Africa or, or to an impoverished area, uh, you'd go and baptize a hundred people there because they would. You know, there's more need of, you know, uh, the belief in the supernatural because the natural isn't feeding them or the natural isn't sustaining their life. So they, they believe, believe more in miracles and then they would see more miracles purely because they have more faith in in that. Whereas we've become very rational. Um, we've become very rational. Everything's now a debate and argument and very, even in Christianity, very little is left to faith. And so, and so then you have countries like, we're getting there, countries like Denmark, as a pastor from Denmark, who says, how do you, how do you promote religion? Because our religion is always given to people that you don't have. You know, you have everything. So how do I tell you that you need God mm. when you don't have any need? And so, 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 the, so the way you do that is then you have to maybe not tell them what they need, but also... Um, tell them where the source of what they have is. They think it's from them. They think it's um, the, the egocentric is from. They think it's my education, it's my this, it's my that. But actually, it's redirecting that there's the sources from the sources from God. But also, there's always a time in people's lives when their their belief system doesn't sustain them. You know, whether they're in a hospital or something, something goes wrong, and it's in and it's in those moments of it's in those moments that uh, God, God, God is the thing that you know that is sometimes looked on. So, for instance, I give this example. A friend of mine um, used to doesn't believe in God, and his mother was dying, and he said to me, uh, "Paul, can you pray? Can you pray for my mother?" And I said to him, "Phil, his name was Phil." I said, "Phil, you don't believe in God." He said, "I know, but you do." Mm. Mm. And so, and so it's 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 almost once again like the timing. It's it's, it's you're, if you're doing life with people, they know that you're there. They know they know where to go to. They know wow. within it. They it's not just like okay, I'm here to come. I'm not here to just convince you to just join a religion. I'm always going to be here, and then they'll they'll come to you, and God will create these these opportunities for you know. Revelation 3, I was doing a Bible study. Revelation 3.20 says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. And then one of my friends, one of them was saying, well, yeah, but this person is really evil and they're really bad and they're really this and they're really that. And I said to him, listen, I said, like, you know, I wasn't, my mother prayed for 40 years before I became a pastor. God's still knocking. And so it's not our place to judge. I don't know whether that person's going to do it when they're 10, 18, 30, 40, whatever. But God is going to continually knock on that person's life. And whatever that moment is where they let a crack in, he will 
use that as an opportunity to just reveal himself and be the answer that he's always wanted to be. Just, are you going to be open to that? He's going to give you that opportunity. He's not going, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to judge you. He's going, listen, my arms are open to you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I, don't want to, I'm, I want to do this. And I want to show you. That's why I think God loves the prayers of children. I want to show you that being with me is not constrictive. It isn't me telling you what to do. I just want to show you love. And I want to show you freedom. And I want to show you forgiveness. I want to show you mercy. And in that, you can then express that to someone else. That's what he. Right. That's 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 what he wants them to do. So it isn't this quali- it isn't a qualification that do you know what? Um, in order to get to know Jesus, I mean, I'm having Bible studies and with some of the Adventist kids that are going to me. When am I ready for baptism? And I'm like, ah, ah. <laughs> Ephesians two eight says salvation is a gift from God. It's by grace. You can't boast about it. I'm giving it to you. You got it already. Just go and get it. And then out of that love, out of doing that, you then have an expression. That's why the woman is washing Jesus' feet. She's been forgiven and she's just expressing. And and that's why the story, and I think it's in Matthew 18, which which doesn't make any sense. Like, I forgive you. And after I forgive you, you go out and then meet someone else and you're slapping them around. It doesn't make sense. And that's what, sometimes what we do. God forgives us and then we walk out and we're mean to people. What do you mean? How can you? I've forgiven you. I've, I've forgiven you. So you can go and forgive someone else and you're not, you're not, taking that baton of faith, passing that baton of faith and forgiveness and mercy on. And that's our job, to do that. And to go, do you know what? I just want to tell you that God forgave me. You know, not to be, um, not forgive me, not to forgive me to be perfect, to be, forgive me to just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an addict, whatever it is. I mean, cigarettes an easy thing. I'm an addict, you know, but but I used to smoke 60, but now I'm going to smoke 20. Now, an Adventist ago, you're still smoking. A Christian would go, wow, that's brilliant, you know, God's working with you. He's on a, it's a progression. It's a journey. We're there. We're, we're going on a process of healing, you know, and, and and that is and that is where that is where I think that the beauty of what we do is is that is that if in doing life it's, it's more patient, but I think that there's something in is, is in Mark four. There's a mark. There's a there's a, um um there's a there's a parable about the seeds. So the Bible says that um that the the sower comes along and he sows the seeds. And then he goes away because he doesn't know how they grow. And he turns up at the time of harvest and then he crops and he harvests them. And I think that we I think that we don't believe as ministers or as people of God or disciples that we don't believe in um, we don't believe in this. We don't believe in so that parents come up to me and go, I'm really worried about my kids, I'm really worried about my kids. I'm like, what did you sow in your kids? Tell me what yeah. you sowed to 18. What did you sow in your kids? Oh, I did this and this and that. Well, then fine. Believe in the harvest. Believe. If they're clubbing and they're doing drugs, that there's they can hear you on the side going, like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing They can't have as – I can tell you for a fact, okay? I did all, all kinds of things. I couldn't have as much fun as other kids or other people because I heard my mother's prayers. I heard the seeds that, my, that were sown into my life. I couldn't get away with it. The, um, the text says – train up a child in the way he should go and when he grows up he will not depart from it i don't think that's what it means i think train up a child in the way he should go and it will not leave the child it's in the child and that's what it travels with and so we have to trust what we sow into people and 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 we don't and we um, sometimes we have to hover over it we want to hover over it but we don't know we just got to trust what we sow, let the Holy Spirit sow into it. And then like teachers, sometimes we, you know, like teachers, we don't know the success of our class, but know that we poured good education in you and you did something somewhere else and someone else might be getting it. And they might actually be getting the glory, but they never hear their names. They just know. But Mr. So-and-so, the reason I'm a scientist is because Mr. So-and-so, my chemistry teacher, did this. And then we go from there. We are, we are those. That's what we do. We have to trust the seeds that we sow. Wow. Man, I think that's actually a really good note to to leave this on. Um, yeah, I just love that thought, um, trusting the seed that you sow. I don't think I've ever thought about that, you know, <laughs> but it seems so simple. It's really cool. I read, um, I read. It takes you, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this because I had, to, I had to learn. I had to learn a lot of it, and I'm still learning. You know, I'm, I'm still learning. And God speaks to us. I'm sure that if I was to interview you, uh, as long as you've interviewed me, I'd be like, wow, as well, because God talks to us in different ways and gives and shows us different paths and different things. 
um, mm. but it, and which is applicable to our journey, you know. And there's, it's, I think that for us as especially leaders, that we have to forever, we need to lead, but we also need to be forever teachable. Well, fair dinkum, mate. <laughs> that was <laughs> crikey, just, crikey. <laughs> that was just chockers. Oh, um, mate, what a what a cool cobber he was. <laughs> Uh, honestly, that was such a such a insightful interview. Um, <laughs> such a character, eh? It was just, it was really cool. I learned really so is. much. Yeah, no, I, I I did too. And you know, it's funny. A lot of urban ministry is just like it's common sense, but it's just funny how we have to be reminded of common sense sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what they say: common sense ain't that common. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, look, we really appreciate that that interview. Um. Pastor Paul just shared from from the heart. Um, his journey has been a raw journey. Uh, he's broken ground, and, and the way that he's done it, it, he just it comes off as so casual. Like, yeah, of course, this is what we did, and and I'm sitting here going, holy moly! Like you actually you went into another a whole another church and you used their space and you just forced yourself in there and you didn't wait for the board to get approval. You just kind of started meeting in this 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 Pentecostal church. And if I did that, there would be like this huge big, oh, you can't do that. And it's like, no, we just did it. Yeah. Did <laughs> you it. know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, super insightful. So, hey, hope this helped you guys out. Um, if you've got any questions or thoughts or anything, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you are new around here, uh, we would just love it if you would subscribe to Burn the Haystack on whatever podcatching app that you are using currently. And if you already are subscribed to us, leave us a review. We love you forever if you did that. Um, it really helps out the podcast and um, we really would appreciate it if you left us a review. Absolutely. And for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go and check out burnthehaystack.org. Um, you can find everything you can find our blog you can find links you can find whatever you want um, and if you want more on burnthehaystack.org there's even a contact form so you can just get in contact with us all through the one website so make sure you go and check it out but for now that is Josh and Jesse out